From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. My mom always said, life was like a box of chocolates. The force will be with you, always. I'm your number one fan. <laughs> This is Simon Rose. You join us for The Business of Film, where I'm joined by James Cameron. Well, it's interesting, James, listening to those clips. There are some films you're desperate to see again. I'm not sure Misery is one of those that I do want to watch again, good though it was at the time. Amazing how it sticks in the memory. Good films do, I suppose. And have Indeed you seen any good ones? Aha! Well, following all the excitement of the cinema's opening last week and catching mm. the gripping thriller those who wish me dead and the sickly ingenious spiral from the book of saw uh, not to mention one of the best films of the year sound of metal things have got rather <laughs> gone rather downhill <laughs> since then it was a oh, wonderful sorry. opening week but well, we have a box office simon well, we have a chart oh james this is oh well i i think this deserves some sort of recognition well champagne Oh, we are? Oh, <laughs> oh lovely. A box office chart for the UK. How extraordinary. We really do, yes. All right. And the first film has done really well. It sold out that at my local multiplex for the entire weekend. I couldn't get into a single screening of Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. Right. And this is, these are real figures. It was showing at 496 screens, mm. and it made f over 4 million Six hundred and five thousand pounds. Wow, that's impressive. But one then you, weekend, you talked about weekend. figures from uh, America a few weeks ago, didn't you? Saying that you felt that was evidence that people were desperate to get back to cinemas. Well, th there you go, and that's mm -hmm. a screen average of nine thousand two hundred and eighty-six, which is not to be not to be sneezed at. at. Oh, yes, no, yes, no. absolutely. So um, um, that is really exciting news, and. Even the film at number 10 made £130,324. Uh, and that's an art house film called Ammonite. But I'll go through the charts because okay. that's what this programme yes, originally please. did. So at number two, I'm thrilled to see that we have Nomad Land, which made almost a million. Well, it made £875,000, which is pretty good considering the budget of Nomadland and considering it is, it, it is an art house film mm, mm. and I know lots of people who went to see it and of course it got so many great uh, I think wait won the Oscar for best cinematography mm. so to see it on the big screen with those amazing that amazing American scenery uh, was a real treat at number three we have another very cinematic film called Godzilla versus Kong number four Spiral from the Book of Saw which is a new release which is the ninth edition in the Saw franchise. We've got a new horror film at number five called The Unholy, which I will be reviewing after the break. We've got number six, Mortal Kombat, which is a reboot of the video game franchise. Number seven, I'm, I'm disappointed this is not higher because I really enjoyed this, and I think it is a very cinematic experience. Those Who Wish Me Dead, with Angelina Jolie as a smoke jumper, protecting a child from two hitmen played by a couple of Brits. Um, Aidan Gillen, maybe he's... Um, no, he's Irish, isn't he? Uh, I'd always thought so, but I don't know. OK. Uh, an Irishman and a Brit, and the Brits played by Nicholas Holt, yes. with impeccable American accents. I was very gripped by it. 
And I, I just thought it had a very strong story. At number eight, we have Araya and the Last Dragon, an animated action adventure from Disney with the voices of Aquafina and Gemma Chan, another Brit. We've got the dire Tom and Jerry, the movie, at number nine, which is a live action animated mashup, much as Peter Rabbit 2 is. Mm-hmm. And at 10, we've got the wonderful film from Francis Lee called Ammonite, with Kate Winslet as the paleontologist Mary Anning and her friendship uh, with a young woman played by Saoirse Ronan. And it is a, a wonderful film, and I do beg you to see it. I, I think it should be up there with the three other new releases, Minari and Sound of Metal, mm-hmm. which both won Oscars. And I think Ammonite should have been up there, but maybe because it was released so early in the year. I just don't know why mm. the Academy didn't embrace it, because it is a wonderful film. James, terrible. I've forgotten already, even though we discuss it here and I read about it, but what, what won the best film Oscar this year? I can't remember. Uh, Nomadland. Oh, OK, fine. Oh, you didn't mention the best film. You mentioned the cinematography, and I kept thinking, I'm sure it was the best film as well. But OK, fantastic. So, I mean, Nomadland. did it win best cinematography? I know it won best director, best film, best actress. I can't okay, remember. sorry, I can't remember what you said now. Um, apologies. I, I think it may have. Did it? Film. I don't know, but clearly that's obviously the one that people are going to want to go and see. Um, so, what have you seen? What have I seen? Ha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not holding my breath here. <laughs> you may have gathered that I was not particularly looking forward to Peter Rabbit 2, or Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. To give it. You you try not to prejudge films, but you were finding it hard to disguise <laughs> the lack of interest you had. Well, being the eternal optimist that I am, Simon, I was yeah. hoping it might be another Paddington 2, hmm. a near masterpiece born out of a mediocre original. I might not have object- objected so strongly to the first Peter Rabbit film had it not been called Peter Rabbit. Maybe something like Bruce the Bunny as it's actually an Australian piece of a cultural appropriation that suffocates any charm or delicacy that the original stories by Beatrix Potter contained. However, I regret to report that the sequel is even worse than the first film. I don't even really know where to start, but it is really, really bad. For the young of brain exquisitely animated half-addressed creatures getting into all sorts of scrapes might be enough to distract them for an hour and a half. Hmm. Maybe they won't even be exasperated by James Corden's shrill whine as Peter Rabbit or the inert chemistry between Rose Byrne and Donald Gleeson, who are the least funny double act since Hitler and Eva (laughs) Brown. But... What the film lacks in humour and charm, it makes up for in violence. At the very start, we see uh, Bayer Potter and Thomas McGregor about to enjoy a storybook wedding surrounded by the glorious New South Wales scenery standing in for the Lake District, or at least a digitally manipulated version of Cumbria. And then Peter Rabbit goes berserk and the animals destroy the occasion and assault the guests in a fracas that is not only surreal, but pointless. And then we discover that it is all a figment of Peter Rabbit's imagination, which kind of makes it worse. 
There is still some tension between Peter and the new Mr. McGregor, actually the nephew of the original nemesis of Peter's. And Peter is trying to behave. But whenever he attempts to rectify the transgression of another animal, he gets caught in the act and is blamed for the other's misdeed. But that's just a subplot. The main thrust of the story considers Bea, short for Beatrix, now Mrs. McGregor, whose tales of Peter Rabbit and his friends and her accompanying drawings of them have attracted the attention of a big city publisher called Nigel Basil Jones, based in Gloucester, where the tailor lives. Basil Jones is played by David O'Yellowo in his worst performance to date, and whose smarm is as transparent as cut glass, which also describes his accent. But whereas Bayer is hoping to promote the harmony of harmony between man and nature, Nigel Basil Jones is more interested in kickstarting a franchise and even persuades Bayer to set her next story in outer space because children love all things sci-fi. And while Basil Jones shows off his line of Peter Rabbit backpacks in the breakfast cereal called Bunny Puffs, the real thing Peter Rabbit falls in with the criminal underworld of Gloucester and the film takes a decidedly Guy Ritchie turn in flavour including the introductions of each character and all the usual devices that Guy Ritchie uses. Uh, the joke is that while Basil Jones is exploiting the Beatrix Potter brand, the film thinks it can get away with it, with doing the same thing by owning up to it with a big conspiratorial wink in our direction. Mm. Likewise, Peter Rabbit's predilection for violence is excused by Peter, cue another conspiratorial wink, saying... I may be terrible at foreign languages, but I'm great at cartoon violence. Ha! We laugh. Did you ever get a chance to see the 2014 remake of the musical Annie? No. Are you aware of it? I'm With not Cameron even sure Diaz, I recall it, it now. No. Uh, it was <laughs> just appalling. It got hmm. slaughtered by the critics. But yes, that too was terrible and was directed by Will Gluck. Uh, whose M.O. seems to be to destroy anything cherished in our, our childhood memories. And he directs this, <laughs> and, and Peter Rabbit too, uh, Peter Rabbit, the original. Please, please don't let him direct Paddington 3 or another remake of The Railway Children. He has reduced Peter Rabbit 2 into a high-pitched scream of a movie, which is not only witless and bereft of charm, but just doesn't make sense. Very quickly. Uh, this, is, this is what Mark Camo considers the death of narrative in modern cinema isn't it i mean he's i think he complained about it to do with ice age 2 originally but he keeps returning to the the fact that it's just they sort of imagine the target audience will lap it up it's just a series of episodes you know full of sound and fury and nothing important um yeah I mean, what bugged me is <laughs> that that they live in windermere that windermere is their closest town yeah and they keep on nipping into gloucester uh, which is where the publisher is based. And they go to, you know, several times a day, at least yeah, twice get a day. The bus. Yep. Yeah. Well, I did look it up on Google Maps, <laughs> and it takes three and a half hours to get there uh, if you take the, the motorway. Yes. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. However, I, too, I do try to look for the good and everything. And I have to say that the film's production designer, Roger Ford, has pulled a rabbit out of a hat. I didn't suspect for a minute that the film was shot in Australia, in spite of the likes of Margot Robbie, 
Elizabeth Debicki, Sam Neill and Tim Minchin lending their voices to the critters. But Roger Ford has really created an authentic version of Gloucester, a very beautiful city that I know extremely well, but was a bit perplexed. I didn't recognise any of the streets, but it's Gloucester-ish. And I so I'll give Roger Ford that. Okay. James, well, it's probably a good moment for just to take a breather before you lay into whatever you're going to be talking about <laughs> next. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio. I'm Simon Rose, but the person to be listening to is James Cameron Wilson. So, uh, clearly we're not necessarily holding our breath at how wonderful this week's cinema has been, but uh, Peter Rabbit 2 can be avoided unless you've got perhaps young uh, people in the house screaming uh, with desire to go and see it. Uh, there is, in my, to my mind, that there are few things worse than having to take children to a film you cannot stand. I know. That there's no uh, allowing we've, for the We've both thing. done it many, many it, times it, it, in the have. past. Mostly a long time ago. Though the worst one, I think, actually was theatre, not cinema. I took my son to see Fireman Sam at the Wimbledon Theatre. Ow! Just, just managed to get to sleep. It was absolutely appalling. I just managed to fall asleep when I was woken up by my son going, Fire! 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 Oh, God. <laughs> uh, just dreadful. Just dreadful. Right. So, what did you go and see? Or have I, you seen online? Well, uh, again, I've kind of been putting this off. This is a film called The Unholy. It's been quite a year for the hard of hearing. Obviously, we had Darius Marder's Oscar-winning Sound of Metal, mm. but the deaf rock drummer superbly played by Riz Ahmed. And then the best thing about Godzilla vs. Kong was the performance of the young deaf actress Kaylee Hoffel. And I mean that in all sincerity, who teaches mm. the giant ape to sign. She's about the only good thing about that film. But now comes another in which the central character is a deaf mute, Alice Paget, played by the intriguingly named Cricket Brown. Last week, I reviewed the spiral from the Book of Saw, which I confessed would appeal to its core audience, besides which it was stylish, ingenious, and surprisingly well-acted by Chris Rock, but with the unholy based on the James Herbert novel Shrine. I'm afraid the horror genre takes a step backwards. This is a perfect textbook example of how to make a formulaic horror quickie for the multiplex. There are the mandatory jump scares, sudden loud surges from the orchestra pit, underlit rooms, which really bugs me, uh, unexplained drafts, backlighting, fog effects, whispering and susurrating on the soundtrack, and a whole playroom for the Foley artists to participate in. And of course, there is the obligatory pro prologue and epilogue to tie the whole thing up as your common or garden B-movie horror. So the prologue. Here the film tell, tells us we are in 1845 and a woman is being punished for witchcraft and to be fair, we do see it all through her eyes, through the eyepieces of a hood which she is forced to wear. Uh, this is probably the most inventive moment in the film. Then, so we gather, she is whipped, hauled up on a tree and set alight. Only later do we discover that she wasn't wearing a hood at all. But the eye, the eye holes were actually through a mask nailed to her face. We then cut to the present day, to the small town of Banfield, Massachusetts, population 2,688, 
and are introduced to our protagonist, Jerry Fenn, a journalist who has fallen on hard times and has been reduced to topping up his coffee with a flask. Funnily enough, I have seen this action at least three times in the last fortnight. It's become a visual shorthand to let us know that the character has a drinking problem and has fallen on hard times. Jerry, who has lost his credibility having fabricated a story, is looking for a scoop and is sent to Banfield to investigate of cattle being routinely mutilated. In the event, he finds one cow with the letter M sprayed on its flank in a typeface beloved by fans of Metallica. And that is about the only moment in the film that might raise a smile. Incidentally, the cow happens to be in the same field that we saw back in the prologue, Uh, a large expanse of grass next to a church, and the sort of place you can imagine attracting crowds of children all day long. And there is that fateful tree where we witness the poor so-called witch meet her end 175 years ago. Now, get this. Jerry investigates the tree, and in its exposed hollow, he finds a doll tied in chains, which represented the spirit of the so-called witch. It's amazing that in such an exposed place, a doll should have remained undiscovered for 175 years. At this point, I lost all interest in the film. <laughs> Is the tree be... the same size? I think so, yes. It's dead by the, by the oh, time... It's de- oh, I see. Oh, right. I was say, it's 175 years. It ought to be quite big by now. Right, okay. No, no, it's the same size with this big exposed hollow with the doll just mm. lying there. Yeah. Uh, and nobody's found it for 175 years. Um but anyway, it turns out to be just as hackneyed and mechanical as I feared. I will spare you the story other than to say that Jerry breaks the doll, releases the spirit of the witch, which then inhabits this deaf mute, who happens to be the niece of the local priest and who suddenly finds her voice. In fact, she cannot shut up and starts healing the sick, believing she is a vessel for the Virgin Mary. Mm. And our Finn gets the scoop he has been looking for. The Unholy is the sort of film so poorly constructed and written that I started to complete the sentences of the characters on screen. (laughs) I wasn't in the least bit scared, but to be fair, Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Jerry Finn makes a sympathetic, commanding presence and stands in as the sceptic in all of us, only for evil to open his eyes. And I did enjoy the Boston accent of the London-born Carrie Elwes, who incidentally had uh, he had top billing in the very first Saw film. So, having been brutal about the two films, I then reverted to Netflix and found something <laughs> much, much better. I just thought that the idea of of being able to predict what actors are going to say would not a bad sort of game. If you're watching something you don't like, with somebody yes. else, you should keep pressing the pause button and try to yeah. guess what the end of the sentence is. I was going writing to be. it down on my notepad. <laughs> I know he's going to say that, and, yeah, and he did. So, what did you see on Netflix? Uh, well, yes, Oxygen. Um, what would you do if you woke up sealed in a plastic cocoon? Such is the case with. Let's call her Liz, played mm. by Melanie Laurent. She doesn't know where oh, she Oh, I like is. Melanie Laurent. She was in oh, the yeah. Le, Con- Le Concert, one of my favourite French She films. was, yes, yes. One of mine, yes, too. Yes. Well, right. she doesn't know where she is and is hermetically sealed in what, what looks like a honeycombed rubber straight jacket. She is also plugged into a life support system, encircled by tubes and crowned with a helmet of electrodes. She is alone. 
She is entombed and she is very, very confused. She doesn't know how she got there. And in fact, she can't remember anything. She cannot even remember who she is. All she knows is that she is running out of oxygen and only has 43 minutes until she is asphyxiated. The following 90 minutes is a journey that we share with Liz, who over the course of the movie discovers bit by bit who she is, but she is not entirely alone. She is accompanied by the calming voice of a computer who, at least up to a point, can do her bidding. Gradually, we discover that she is locked in a cryogenic unit that cannot escape without the correct password, which obviously she doesn't remember. Mm. And her artificial attendant will not release her without an administrator code. But Liz, or Omicron 267, as the computer insists that she is called, she is not stupid. And what follows is a battle of wits between her and her digital captor. In fact, the AI, called Milo, is willing to accommodate her wishes. And it is up to her to issue the right commands. In the event, her survival rests on a game of 20 questions. But which questions to ask? After all, she doesn't have a whole lot of time. Hmm. Most films condense a period of time into the length of the film we are watching. But here, it is in the reverse. Those crucial 43 minutes are expanded to fit our narrative. From the opening shot, well, it's brilliant. We see a white rat move up to the camera and then away down a white corridor. And as the camera tilts ever upwards, we see that the rat is in a maze of white corridors and the camera continues to pull away, eventually revealing a city-like maze with our friend the rat now reduced to the size of an ant and the maze itself taking on the form of a mosaic spelling out a massive O and the numeral two, the chemical symbol for oxygen. oxygen. If ever I saw a single sequence that highlighted a sense of hopelessness and vulnerability for a creature, this was it. It really sets the mood. For a film set in such a small space, it is extraordinary how kinetic, exciting and visually engaging oxygen is. Do you remember or did you see Stephen Knight's Lock with Tom Oh, yes. Fantastic film. Well, dial up the tension and you have oxygen because that was also largely a one-man scenario in, a, in an enclosed space. Obviously, those of a claustrophobic disposition should stay clear, and I had doubts myself about spending so much time in such an enclosed space. But what, was the, I watched... what was the one with the person who woke up buried in a coffin that was buried. also quite good? Buried. Yes, yes, that was, yes, that was also yeah. very good. Yeah. But here I was riveted, and unlike so many high-concept thrillers, the ending does not disappoint. Ooh. Everything just neatly falls into place. After the cliched lazy fodder doled out at my local multiplex, it was good to get to grips with something mm. so clever and one of a kind. Were it not for the visual ingenuity of the director, Alexander Ha, Oxygen would make a brilliant radio play. Is this in... Um, it is in English. Is, I mean, she's obviously a French actress. It is in French. It's in French. OK, it fine. Is. fine. It's uh, although it's an Anglo-American co-production, it is in French. French. But it, the visuals... feel like a sci-fi film or, or not? Well, <laughs> it sort of sounds sci-fi, but also away. not. Okay. I don't want to give then you mustn't. Away. You mustn't. Yeah, because uh, we don't know what it is, or where she is. Yes, but we should the just visuals, take the recommendation. The visuals really help to suck us in. 
And so the film neatly, well, drip feeding us the information we need to know, mm. explores some pretty fundamental issues such as memory, loneliness, identity, intelligence, and what it actually means to be human. There's a lot going on, which considering oh, the stage we are presented with, it's a very clever movie. Well, James, thank you very much indeed. And sadly, because that is so interesting, we haven't got time to discuss Amazon's um, takeover of MGM. There's an awful lot happening. I mean, Warner's been bought as well, but we can come back to that another time. But that's it for this edition. It's still edition. in the offing, isn't it? That hasn't yeah, been completed Yeah, yet. that's true. Um, so we will get time to come and talk about that again, I'm sure. But James Cameron Wilson will be back with more of the business of film uh, and real films in cinemas as well at the same time next week. All my life, I've been waiting for someone, and when I find her, she's... she's a fish. You're tearing me apart! Why so serious? So 